0: Del Valle and the baby face in the sky, Bienvenidos, señores y señores, to another episode of the Bleed Lows Podcast. This episode of the Bleed Lows Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Mm-hmm. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting, and your favorite casino and card games are available to play right from your phone. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code Believe, BLEAV for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. And joining us on the carne asada, it's a real pleasure. Uh, we are speaking with Jesse Sanchez, who is the Director of Talent Development and Diversity Outreach Content for MLB.com. Jesse, como estas amigo? Bienvenido.
1: Todo bien, todo bien. Carne asada. Hey, I didn't know that was the name of this uh, the podcast. I needed to get you send me some before we, before we started. We could eat while we talk. Well,
0: here's the thing, Jesse. We're the Bleed Lows podcast, right? So our focus is we're a Dodger-centric podcast, right? Yeah. But at the same time, we talk about Los Angeles. We talk about tacos, right? But when we have guests on, we like to treat it like a carne asada. I mean, you know how it is when you're hanging out in a carne asada. You're, you're eating, you're drinking, and then you're saying stuff. You're probably saying stuff you shouldn't be saying. You're getting into <laughs> arguments that are ridiculous, and it's really – you know, so it's it's real laid back. So it's yeah. not going to be gotcha journalism here, Jesse.
1: Yeah. Well, that's good. Well, real quick, Cárdenas story before we get going. And given the, the, the Dodgers, the theme and everything, like one of the very first dates, I counted as a date, but I'm not sure my wife counts it as a date. So then my girlfriend was to the Nomar Garciapada uh, Cárdenas Sala. He used to have those events at Dodger Stadium a long time ago when he was a player. So I was covering. I happened to be in L.A. Um, based in Phoenix, but I happened to be in L.A. doing some other stuff. And she drove up from Phoenix and, uh, you know, I took her to that event. Uh, we eventually went to on a real date that night. But I always tell her our first date was with uh, Nomar and uh, Mia Ham and their kids showed up. And I thought it was like the coolest thing. And, and my wife's like, I don't think she counts that as a as a first date. Is it that messed up though, Jesse? I mean, do you always have
0: to, I mean, well, obviously you guys, it's too late, but looking back, do you have to declare yourself? Do you have to say that? This counts as a date, right? Like we're on a date. Do you
1: need that clarification? I don't know. I think it's unspoken. It was unspoken for me, but I don't think (laughs) years later, I found out it didn't count. Years later, I found out it was a work event that uh, she had to attend just so we can go out later that night you know so or it, whatever
0: so is that why Dodger Stadium is so special to you is because it it reminds you of that moment
1: you know what really I do every time I drive by I mean I am in that uh left field concourse area um you know that's where Nomar had his event and obviously I've been to tons of regular season games there uh and lots of great playoff games world series you you name it it's been the, the all-star game I went to the all-star game there uh It's it's a special event. I mean, it's it's not just special for L.A. and for Dodger fans. It's special for baseball man. it's history. You know, you think about the players, you think of the international element of the Dodgers. You think about coming from New York. You think about all of that, man. So it's 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 a special place, not just for I know people who live in L.A. and Dodger fans, you know, understandably cherish it. But universally, man, it's a spot. You know, it is a special place, so it's like it needs to be on people's bucket list. Like, go to Dodger Stadium and check it out. Um,
0: just real quick before we we leave you, your your the story of you wooing uh your your wife in the it in was, the. It
1: was great, cutting a salad, man. Come on.
0: <laughs> well, it's just because this was back when Nomar was still playing, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you were over there in the left field pavilion then that means that was during the time of the left field pavilion locos, the left field locos. I mean, how many of those people showed up at, at the carne asada? And Jesse, you don't have to be politically correct here. We're from Los Angeles. We yeah. all know the cholos sit in the left field pavilion. So how many of them showed up to the carne asada?
1: You know, I'm not even sure, man. I was so focused on trying to talk to Nomar and this girl that I really like trying to like keep her comfortable. It's, it's LA. So it's hot in the summertime, you know? So I, I wasn't really paying much attention to other than Nomar, Mia ham my then girlfriend at the time who Yvonne, who I married. Uh, so yeah, frankly, I really didn't see who else was there. You know?
0: I, I mean, you've been, you were covering baseball at that time for at least 20 years, right? Yeah. So had you at that point pretty much been to every
1: stadium? I have, you know, I have, and that's one of the beauties of the gig working at MLB and covering baseball for you know over 20 years, you know, gone to every stadium, and the beauty, uh, kind of expanding on that is going to all these different countries, you know, with Cuba, Mexico, you know, Venezuela, um, uh, Nicaragua, I mean, you just name it, Panama. Uh, you know, Puerto Ricos always have games. I know it's U.S. Commonwealth. We've all I've been there several times covering games. Uh, any place in Latin America or the Caribbean, I've been there either covering the Serie de Caribe or events that were happening there, or show international showcases or, or whatever, man. So it's been it's been really cool to check out all these stadiums, and it's not something I ever imagined, dreamed of. It's beyond my dreams, you know. Um, just a small town kid who never really got on an airplane until I was like 22 years old to be able to do all this. Uh, so it's been, I, I definitely know how lucky and fortunate I am.
0: Well, I mean, you got me beat because I, I, I'm, I have 18 stadiums down. I still have 12 more, but Dodger stadium is the third oldest stadium in all of major league baseball. And I've been to Fenway. I will tell you, Fenway is beautiful. It's great, but it is not fat boy friendly. Um, I love Wrigley Field, especially a day game in Wrigley Field is something that I think if you are just a fan of baseball that you need to uh, you need to experience. But I feel like sometimes Dodger Stadium gets a bad rap that that stadium is not spoken about in the same way that Fenway Park is that Wrigley Field or that the old Yankee Stadium Was But as you as a visitor coming in, what was – when you first went to Dodger Stadium, and this was before they did all those great renovations and they turned it into a a hangout spot out in the center field plaza, what were your initial thoughts uh, of Dodger Stadium?
1: Well, walking in there, man, it's like this is where Fernando pitched. You know, that's like the first thing you think about. You know, like Fernando pitched here. This was his castle. You know, that's how – you know, growing up in Texas, when I thought of LA, yes, I grew up, you know, with baseball cards and, and all that, knowing different players and that played in, in LA. But you know, what really, the peg, what really touched me or really helped me to follow the Dodgers was Fernando, you know, pitching there. So you go there and you say, hey man, this is where he pits. This is where he played. This is where everybody's in the stands cheering for him. You know, that's history. You know, that's part of our culture. It was just beautiful to like, Check that out, you know, and then and then you see the things where, you know, the colors of the bleachers, you know, with the, where there's the yellow, blue, green, all that. Knowing the story of how each of those bleachers represent, uh, you know, a, a, you know, sand, sun, ocean, all, you know, the sky. Uh, learning that was really cool. I mean, I I wear people out every time we go to Dodger Stadium for the first time and they don't know that. And I go, I'm like, look at the color of the seats. You know, this represents the sun. This is the sand, you know, and, and uh, little things like that walking around the concourse, man. you think about, for me, you know, growing up, uh, I didn't follow the Dodgers the way y'all did who lived there. But, you know, Kirk Gibson and the Homer and, and uh, you know, uh, Oral Hershizer. You know, once upon a time, I covered the Texas Rangers, and Oral was a pitching coach there for a little bit. You know, I still know Oral these, to this day from the Ranger days. But I think about, you know, his streak and all that stuff. So for me, being a baseball buff, uh, going into Dodger Stadium, yes, I thought about the team that was on the field and all that kind of stuff. But mostly it was about my childhood and and looking up at this historic place and what you know all the stuff that's happened there, man. So again, being able to go there now that I live in Phoenix, you know, I'm there more often. Playoff games, you know, it's always cool and, And as a a side note, like one of the best views in baseball is when you leave the press box. It's that, you know, that very top deck at Dodger Stadium and you go to that parking lot and you can see the city, man. It's beautiful. You know, that is like gives me chills now just thinking about it because you're leaving after working your butt off all day long. You know, you're there all day long for 12 hours and way before the clubhouse opens and way after the, you know, the players leave doing your work. And then you walk out into that media parking lot that's on the very top. I can't remember what letter it is. And you walk out to the very top and you just see the city. You're like, oh, okay. Okay. Uh, it was all it. it was all worth it. You
0: yeah. know, this is this is what I'm trying to get these young kids who watch the show, who listen to the podcast to understand, you know, Fernandomania. We know what it means for us here who grew up in Los Angeles that, you know, it's the reason why a lot of us are yeah. Dodger fans, right? Is because we saw Valenzuela. But for a kid who grew up in, te- in, te- in Texas, I mean, that to me is the reach that this guy had and how special
1: it is. Right. 100%. I mean, because remember at the time, early 80s, um, you can see some parallels now, but To then and now, but it was a different time for us in in terms of representation, in terms of who are our heroes and were our heroes on television, were our heroes on posters, were our heroes on magazines and and all that. You um, You know, the reach was huge. The reach was across the nation. You know, the reach was across all of Latin America and the Caribbean because of who he was and just how great he was. You know, think about what he meant culturally to, you know, the Mexicans, Mexican-Americans, all Latinos. But on top of that, he was so good. I mean, the numbers are amazing. You know, especially during that 81 season, especially in the years that followed, you know, he definitely had some ups and downs with injuries. But you think of all the innings he pitched. You think of all the strikeouts, just the mythological. It's one of those things. It's a movie, right? You can't make it up you can't make it up and then really happened at a time where, you know, the city, the country, everybody needed something special. And so again, um, it's really special to go there. You know, one of the, my very first events was covering the futures game, the MLB futures games where the, at the time it was international versus the USA mm-hmm. and Fernando was the manager. I think it was in Houston in 2004, maybe. And he was a manager of, of the Futures international team and just being there, you know, one of my assignments was to interview him and talk to him. And uh, that was a big deal. You know, it was a huge deal. It was like meeting someone who was a baseball hero and more than that, meeting someone who meant so much to our culture, you know, he meant so much to like uh, the nation you know, and just inspirational. I know he's it's a baseball person and, and people see him now. He's super modest. You know, he doesn't talk a lot. I know he does his television thing. He's very modest. And um, but he, he was a, a transformational figure for a lot of people, you know. So you just asked me about Dodger Stadium. I haven't even thought about that question. You know, it's not like you prepped me, but immediately went in Fernando. Immediately meant what that meant to me immediately means like the inspiration, like hey, you can do something in baseball, you can do this, you know? And, and in terms of, you know, having the younger generation, learn that. Um, I talk to my kids about it, partly because we play this game MLB the show. Right. And Fernando's in there and he is awesome in there. And so we tell <laughs> stories about, you know, he, he, we play with him as the pitcher, you know, and then I tell the stories and I say who he is and, um kind of pass that on within my own family. And and I and I go to Dodger Stadium and I still see number 34 everywhere. I see those jerseys everywhere. Mm-hmm. I see him come out of the press box and get mobbed. You know, uh, he can't walk yeah. from the parking lot to the, you know, to the press box or much less go to a concession stand or anything like that. He can't do that. And I see, you know, people my age and older wear his jerseys. And I see some younger people, and that's when I kind of get excited. You see the teenagers or the younger guys wearing number 34. It's like, okay, somebody told him Mm -hmm. somebody told that girl or boy, you know, who 34 is and what that means. You know, and it's not just Latinos wearing it, it's everybody like everybody's wearing 34, man. So that even makes me, you know, it's a measure of pride just to know him, you know. And
0: well, you know, it's it's interesting that you say that, right? Because what you're talking about when representation, sometimes I think you need to see it in front of your eyes, right? You need to see the physical manifestation of it to show you that, hey, I can do that because I see him doing that. Which leads me to the story that you wrote, this fabulous story that you wrote that involves your son in terms of stuttering and how George Springer, like – I could go ahead and set this up, but I think you would do a better job of doing it. Um, It is a piece that is available on MLB.com that I encourage everyone to read because one of the tributes I give you as a writer is I really felt like you put me in that clubhouse. You put me in that dugout with Mattel when he met George Springer, and it felt something – that was very private and personal that you shared. So can you explain to our audience, how did this whole idea come about of not only having your son meet George Springer and bringing awareness to stuttering, but writing an article about it?
1: Okay, so I'll try to keep it short because we can talk about this forever. (laughs) You know, stuttering awareness is extremely important to us. It's personal. Uh, We understand how it impacted us and families like ours. So my my son, Mateo, he is 13 years old. He's had uh, stuttering since he was three. That's when we first noticed it. You know, so he's been going to speech therapy, whether it's a school, um, private speech, you know, therapists uh, to help him communicate. And one of the things we didn't know anything, like a lot of families, we didn't know anything about. It's called disfluency um, and stuttering. We didn't know anything about that. So we were along the ride with him, along the educational ride with him. We're learning strategies. We're learning uh, how many speech stuttering therapists there speech therapists there are that focus on stuttering. Um, We're learning all the the breathing techniques, just anything you can think of, because our thinking at that time was we wanted to fix our son, fix him, you know, and that spoke to our naivete. That spoke to our ignorance about stuttering awareness you don't fix something like that Mm -hmm. you know it's very personal um what works for one person doesn't always work for another what we after years of you know him going to speech therapy and us growing going the ups and downs of uh through that is we embraced it you know what we don't want to do is stigmatize stuttering you know so my son has curly hair he has brown eyes he stutters he has brown skin He has skinny fingers. You know, he can throw pretty good. It's all part of his identity. Mm -hmm. It's not his sole identity. Um, But So as we're going through that, he's going through speech therapy. And um, he had his own curiosity to look into other people or celebrities that have a stutter. So it was like, you know, James Earl Jones. He's like, Darth Vader stutters. (laughs) You know, uh, I think it's Emily Blunt. I think it's the, the guy from the office, his John wife, Krasinski. yes, his wife, you know, he was like, Oh, okay, great. And then he's like, George Springer stutters plays for the Astros, you know? And I'm like, Oh, wow. Okay. You know, I don't know the, any of these other people and I'm not going <laughs> to pull any strings or, or anything like that to, to meet those people. But George is probably someone I could have my son watch batting practice and see like someone who's doing an aspirational figure, as you mentioned earlier. You know, so um, I didn't know George other than who he is as a player. I reached out to Alex Cora. He was a bench coach for the Astros. And this was 2017. That's not a great memory. Great year for you Dodgers <laughs> fans, I know. But, uh, you know, I reached out to him, to Alex, who I've known for 20 years when he was a player, when he played with the Dodgers. I've known him for a long, long time. You know, and I said, hey, you know, Um, you think uh, you can help us facilitate a a batting practice pass. I want my son to see George. And again, we're searching for answers, right? I'm looking, we're going to different speech therapists. We're using different strategies. I'm thinking, um, you know, maybe my son can see this guy and see that he's following his dreams and he's accomplishing his dreams and stuttering didn't hold him back. You know? So one of the major things was, it isn't just actually getting the words out, which is obviously important. It's building confidence and, and believing in yourself. And, and, and when you have a stuttering, a stutter, it can shut someone down. You know, it can hurt your confidence. You don't want to express yourself. Um, you start stuttering, people look at you weird, you know, it, it's a, it's a very deep thing. You know, there's a, still a lot of stereotypes about stuttering and, um, shoot look at tv look at movies people still make stuttering jokes Mm -hmm. you know like did i stutter you know stuff like that you know you'll see like the the guys in movies who stutter are played they're made to look like idiots you know there's just a lot of things that are negative portrayals of people who stutter so we're again i'm trying to get mateo to see george just my idea was just watch him hit bp stand behind the rope Uh, Not a big deal. We're just going to watch him. Maybe George would wave. Maybe he wouldn't, you know. uh, So we go to batting practice at Chase Field. The Astros, of course, are hitting inside. He's not going to see George hit the whole point, you know, and then. um, So Alex Cora sees us standing behind the rope. He comes, grabs Mateo by the hand, walks him through the dugout. You know, we walk back past Carlos Correa. I know another Dodger favorite, Uh, you know, (laughs) uh, Beltran, all these players, you know, walk by them. And, you know, I've known these guys because one of my jobs was over the years was covering Latinos, Latino issues, players, countries. So I've known Correa since he was like a 16-year-old kid and still in Puerto Rico Baseball Academy and and Beltran since he was with the Royals. I mean, just long history with a lot of these players, you know. And uh, so I see him wave and uh, Alex Cora takes us down to the batting cage and that's where Springer walks up and he and he says hello to my son. And then my son had been practicing and he said, um, you know, George, you know, how did you get past your stutter? You know, and it was so heavy, man, to hear a little brave year old, seven year old kid like he's searching for answers. You know, how did you get past your stutter? And then George responds with a little bit of a stutter he's like i haven't got past it and then like for 10 minutes or whatever these two guys talk and it was so intimate and so personal that they were sharing their stuttering experience it was almost so personal that me as a father i felt like i needed to step away because it was like two dudes trying to figure it out and talking through their things and um it it, it was life and you know it really impacted my son's perspective so after that, he started giving started giving stuttering presentations to his classmates. You know, he's in seven years old, so what's that like second or third grade? He started giving stuttering awareness presentations. So every year, he's given these stuttering awareness presentations. Um, last uh, yeah, in last May or maybe earlier in the spring, he gave one to the entire school's uh, teachers. So all the teachers are watching this kid giving a, an awareness stuttering awareness presentation while he stutters. You know, so objectively speaking, that's pretty damn admirable. You know, it's like wow. And when it's your kid, it just like makes you want to cry. You know, but when you see it, it's like wow. This this kid is doing something. You know, so uh, so this spring we went down to it was kind of a reunion with George. You know, I talked to some folks about uh, with MLB Network and maybe getting the guys together and 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 frankly, it was such so, such a personal thing. I'm not sure I wanted to share that with everyone. Because it's so personal, but my son is about raising awareness. He's about show, being an example, and, and in that way, I followed his his example. You know, I'm like, okay, son, we'll have a larger platform, and you can share your story. And you know, I'll write a story, and you can reunite with George and talk about the things you've been doing and how you helped him, and George can talk about how he, you know, you, you know, he's you have helped him, and uh that the whole point was really to raise stuttering awareness it was a, a beautiful video um you know i try to write a story again that might have been the most difficult story i've ever written because it's extremely personal mm-hmm. and you know there's some things you want to hold back and not share and it's pretty difficult to share all that but the the reason was to show other families that this is what's happening this is what's happened to us this is what hopefully we can you can relate to in some way somehow and and the reception has been amazing you know from the video to the stories i hear about you know parents are writing me um grown adults have written who've had different not just stuttering but just different disabilities um kind of inspired by you know mateo sharing his and the courage it took to get on camera as a 13 year old and we know how hard it is to get on camera you know um Just for example, I just said, you know, right. I mean, there's, there's little things that you do when you're trying to speak on camera that you try to avoid. So imagine being a kid, having a stutter and then having the bravery and the courage to share that story, you know, so it really resonated with a lot of people and and it's important to him. It's important to us. I tell everybody like, we don't have all the answers. Um, We're also still going through the journey, but if we can raise some awareness and we can make it easier for a family or for a child or for a grown-up to deal with it, that, you know, you're not alone. And if we can raise awareness for others to understand that, you know, when you have a stutter, it doesn't mean you're not smart. It doesn't mean anything other than you're just, you can't get the words out, you know? So again, representation, um, larger themes, representation, fairness, quality all that those are things that are really important to me and our family and it's good that I'm in this gig where it's basically what my job is to give make sure everybody gets a a fair shot and a fair opportunity and no one's prejudged Um, so that's a really long-winded version of of the Mateo George Springer if people want to check it out you know you can just google George Springer and Mateo and you can see the video you can see the story and uh, I encourage you to share it with Families who have a, who are dealing with disabilities, um, and understand we're a, we're all a community. And I think when we all work together as a community, we can, you know, help each other. Man,
0: you know, uh, one of the other things I think that's really uh, an offshoot of this and uh, of this um, piece that you wrote is the the people that you mentioned, and in particular, the three people that you mentioned are not fan favorites here on this right. podcast. And the Astros were just here in town at Dodger Stadium. But I think it's important because what you did is you showed another side. I think especially not just in baseball, but probably in society today, we often are too black and white and we don't deal with the gray enough. Uh, And that is, yes, what these guys did was wrong, but it doesn't define who they are. Because here we are, as much as we want to say George Springer is a horrible person because he cheated in 2017, here's an example of how complicated people are. And I think it served as a really good reminder that sometimes, I, at least for me, and I'm only speaking for myself, I have a tendency to be a little too self-righteous. And self-righteousness is um, maybe a bigger sin than than a lot of other sins, right? And so when I sit here and I read this story and I see that George Springer took the time to, to deal with your son, that Alex Cora helped you set this up. Then, you know, it's like, they're not all bad. They made a mistake and they shouldn't be defined by that mistake. I mean, just recently uh, it was Kenley Jansen came out and shared that they had an interview with Alex Cora and that Alex Cora apologized to him and Justin Turner and Kike Hernandez for what happened in 2017. So, I think it also serves another purpose, uh, the story that you wrote, and it it helps humanize those people. Uh, I recently spoke with Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts has a podcast where he's interviewing other major leaguers. And I said, why are you doing this? And he said, it's because people don't know the players. Baseball, he said, is the worst at getting to know personalities. That's the job that you're in right now, right, Jesse? Your, yeah. your your job is to create content to humanize players,
1: right? Right, and it's a two way street. It's a two way street. I think um, you know. I think players in general have to want to do that, and then there has to be a vehicle. Whether it's uh, the beauty I see now is like there's a place for everyone in media. Whether that's traditional media, whether that's bloggers, whether that's social media, whether that's podcasts whether that's the new thing that's being probably in the works as we speak right now, you know, so I I think there's a vehicle for everyone. Um, And, and I'm so happy Mookie has his podcast, you know, uh, and I'm glad he's able to express himself and I'm glad he's able to, you know, get players on there. You know, when I hear things like that, that makes me happy. I mean, I want more people to express themselves. I'm for more people telling their stories. I'm for, different lenses sharing their perspective, you know, whether that's the players sharing it themselves, whether that's diversity in the press box, whether that's conversations. I think when we expand the lenses, it's all a good thing, you know, and and in terms of Mookie uh, mentioning about telling personalities, you know, I think everybody could get better at that, right? And, and that's the goal. That's the goal. The goal is to share stories and humanize players and let's admire them for how, you know, gifted they are. What they do is unreal. It's not, you know, sometimes we get fooled to think we play the same game they do, <laughs> you know, th- th- they're just, it's totally different. I mean, they are, they're yeah. specialists. They are the 700 best in the world. Mm-hmm. We just happen to see them and they play the same game we do. And maybe we get the same Jersey they do. So we kind of uh, equate what we do with them. But, uh, it's good, man. I mean, I'm glad he's expressing himself. And, and back to your other thing about uh, humanizing the Astros, I think that's important. You know, we all have to humanize each other and 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 understand we're we're three dimensional. But I also, hey, if some fans will never forgive them and yeah. want to root against them, I'm for that too. This is your choice. It's you know, um, I think we got to keep it civil and less venom and, and all that stuff where it's not unhealthy or unsafe, right? But, hey, if you don't like a player, I understand. I grew up a Dallas Cowboys fan. And for uh, non you know, it's not rational and it's not logical. I'm never going to like the Giants, Redskins, you know, uh, Commanders, you know, um, Eagles, all those people in that division because yeah. I grew up as a Cowboys fan, you know, and then people were always going to hate the Cowboys, you know, for no reason. And even though we're the greatest team in the history of football ever. <laughs> I, haven't won, I haven't won a Super Bowl in 50 years. But, uh, <laughs> but that's part of my fandom. And I respect people's fandom, man. If people want to cheer, if they want to boo, they want to, you know, as long as we all keep it civil, let's, you know, express yourself. Uh,
0: Jesse, I want to just get your opinion because it sounds like you could do, you could relate to both sides of this. You just talked about fandom and how illogical it is. But at the same time, you were covering teams for 20 years, right? Mm -hmm. When you hear what I like to refer to as a humanoid, sit there and say to a major leaguer while they're watching on TV, this guy sucks, man. And it's just like, how often do you fight the urge to be like, I want to see you get up there and hit a 90 mile per hour slider?
1: You know, I want
0: to see how good you
1: are. You know, maybe earlier in my career I did now I'm just more about appreciating different people's perspectives, <laughs> you know, because it's like there are the casual fans, there are the hardcore fans, there are the fans who will go once a year. Um, There's all different levels of fandom, you know, and I, and it's not on me to like governor, you know, what people express or say or think, uh, but yeah, I, I'm kind of with you I, in some way. I don't always express that, like especially. Pictures now when people come out of the bullpen and, um, you know, they're, it seems like impossible to hit, you know, I don't know how yeah. these guys do it every night, you know, uh, especially
0: with that new camera view that you get of the umpire. And I'm just like, how that you have what three seconds or what to decide whether you're going to swing at that. And it has movement on it.
1: Yeah. That's a beauty of fandom, man. That's why I hate the giants. I don't know. I can't explain it. <laughs> You know, I, I could, you know, all the 80s and 90s Giants players. I mean, uh, New York Giants, yeah. you know, uh, I, I can I hate them, but I knew every player. I knew their offensive linemen. I knew their second string linebackers. And, you know, the same with the Eagles. And it's more fun now. You know, it's mostly in jest, especially with my buddies who are from Philly or from New York or, you know, from all these cities that, you know, I grew up rooting against. But I don't know, is there a rhyme or reason? I mean, I love well, I go to Philadelphia for baseball. I have a great time, I have friends there. Um, same with New York, you know, all these different, you know, these uh cities in the division. Um, uh, but uh I don't know, I can't explain the fandom and, and I think that's part of the beauty, man. It's it's supposed to be fun, right? Yeah. And for me it's 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 fun and and I hope baseball fans are enjoying it and and they're in your area, you know, rooting rooting against the giants. Yeah. You know, uh, we hate the Giants,
0: too. It's just the baseball yeah. Giants, uh, Jesse. So it sounds like you're uh, like a
1: football guy. How did a football guy end up covering baseball? You know, I don't know if I'm a hardcore football guy. I was just a hardcore Cowboys fan. Oh, OK. You know, and and uh, but, you know, I grew up. But that's how it is in Texas, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it is like
0: it, it, it will never understand it in California. Yeah. Right, Jesse.
1: Right, right. I mean. I think about it now when we're in sixth grade and seventh grade going to middle school, we're having like two a day football practices. It's nuts. It's probably (laughs) illegal now, you know, you know, that was just part of your, 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 your childhood, your adolescence was like practicing twice Mm -hmm. in August heat of Texas, you know, and that's just part of it. And you go to your Friday night football games and it's a community event like that show Friday night lights, a lot and especially the book i mean those are real those are based on real things you know real communities and and people really rally around their football team and um, you grow up you're in high school but and you're a seventh grader and you're basically running the basics the same offense as your high school team (laughs) you know that's crazy right (laughs) looking back we thought it was so normal it's so normal yeah we're running the wishbone and we're gonna have you know the single back and And look back, and you look back on it's like, wow, we're in seventh grade running the same formations as the varsity, because that's (laughs) the feeder. Uh, Look, look, let me let me tell you something,
0: Jesse. I mean, that's how we when we used to play two hand touch out in the street. I'm running the plays that I saw on John Madden football so much so that my cousins started calling me Bill Walsh, going because I'm in the huddle doing these elaborate plays. Other than not using that, okay, you're the bottle cap, you're the twig, this is what you're gonna do. But it is crazy that at such a young age, we're acting like we're professionals.
1: Right. And, and that was a culture, right? The culture is football's king. Um, everybody plays football, everybody cares about it. Uh, that said, you know, I grew up in Arlington, around the Arlington, Texas area. You know, so my favorite players were Pudge Rodriguez, uh, Rafael Palmetto, Julio Franco. Um, Jose Canseco came through, you know, all there was Ruben Sierra, tons of Latinos helped shape, uh, my baseball fandom early on. Cause they, if you look at the, the Rangers were one of the first teams to really bring, uh, players from Puerto Rico. And it was a really international club. And there was a lot of Spanish speakers, a lot of Latinos, you know, I'm in that age where I'm rooting for these players, um, that helped me. It helped shape my fandom, too. You know, my dad, you know, played just like every other kid, you know, T-ball and coach pitch. And my dad was always my coach, you know, and um, all the way up to like 15 or 16. And so we grew up, we played baseball and always had a passion for baseball, have baseball cards. And a matter of fact, I even took my kids to a local baseball card shop yesterday, you know, this, you know, recently, so they can see what that was like. You know, everything's so digital and everything's on an yeah, iPad. Yeah, it not the
0: same anymore, huh, Jesse? Yeah. Like when we were growing up, you, you're making trades. And yeah, Jeff Berry, I'm still pissed off. He, I had a deal for a Will Clark, Cal
1: Ripken straight up, and he, he backed out on me. He welched. I know. One time I traded like three – so I love Ruben Sieta for the Rangers and Daryl Strawberry, right? Yeah. So I traded like three Daryl Strawberries. I can't think. Maybe 85 or 86 cars. I can't remember for like one of those Nintendo baseball games. You no, know, the cartridge <laughs> RBI baseball? Because yeah. RBI no, but- baseball was legit. That was
0: the best way. Everybody was all fat. The graphics were so prehistoric, but like, they and they wouldn't spell out the whole name. Like Jose Uribe was Jew Rib. Yeah. And yeah. it
1: was, yeah,
0: go ahead, sorry.
1: Yeah, so anyway, yeah, I was a baseball. I always loved baseball. Um, that was a real passion of mine. Our family, baseball games. You know, always going to old Arlington Stadium to watch the Rangers. Uh, it was a big deal, you know. So we grew up a baseball family. Up. Just football culture is just all around. So if you're not playing football, even like I'm a really small guy, but I'm still playing football. Everybody's plays football, you know. And then when you're not playing, you're lifting weights in the, the winter time. And that's just looking back on it, I'm not sure if that's the healthiest thing to indoctrinate <laughs> all these little kids to turn into football machines. Uh, you know, but, uh, it was fun, but you know, baseball was probably always number one. Uh, we still love it. You know, I still talk to my kids about it a lot. My wife, my dad, uh, I know my mom would be so proud if she's still alive to see like all the things we've been able to accomplish and, and, and do through baseball. Uh, yeah. So we're a baseball family all the way. My kids play baseball. uh, uh my wife, uh, supports us. You know, she's a, She's also a reporter, but we have three kids playing baseball. It's a lot of baseball, so you really gotta like it to uh, to operate in this household. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, baseball is number one. And uh, like I said, this is my twenty third year at MLB, and you know I I'm I'm very aware how fortunate I am. I'm very aware of like a small town guy born in a in a house like the size of a closet, you know, and then you know my my dad, when he grew up, he was like picking vegetables and cotton and, and, you know, all, all things, um, through his childhood, you know, and I was the first college graduate in the family on one side of the family and, um, to do that. And I just haven't lost sight of that. So I think, um, I, I know I'm very fortunate. So in my new gig, in terms of like outreach and talent development, I'm trying to make sure other people get opportunities. And other people get a fair shake, and that um, we're treated fairly and, and right, you know, and, and that there's representation. So um, all those passions have kind of culminated in this current gig. And again, man, I, I just feel lucky to be able to do it. You know, I, I'm very fortunate. Baseball is a vehicle that I'm able to enact. Yeah, maybe it's a small small part of change, but it's my purpose. You know, so baseball has allowed me to help others and it's allowed to help, definitely help me grow. I met my wife at a journalism conference because I was covering baseball and she was covering politics. We met in California at a conference, Hispanic journalist conference. Um, So without baseball, I don't know if I'm going to that conference. I, and you know, without the Dodgers and the Cardenasala, Jesse, know, without the
0: Cardenasala to close the deal, you had to know. close the deal there. I, mm-hmm. I want to be respectful of your time. I know we've gone way over. Um, I do want to mention uh, a couple of things before we let you go. Um, Major League Baseball is launching a content diversity fellowship. Correct? Can you let us? Can you give us some information on that?
1: Yeah. So this was our first year of a MLB content diversity fellowship um it's a program it's a nine-month program it's designed to prepare uh you know recent graduates who come from dis- diverse or underrepresented backgrounds for roles in our content department uh for this year our two fellows uh they've covered spring training you know they've covered regular season games we sent one of our content diversity fellows to london uh, we had uh, our other fellow cover the mlb combine and he's going to the all-star game to cover um You know, we worked, it was a content department worked in conjunction with, uh, you know, the DE&I department at MLB. Uh, Billy Bean was instrumental in this, and making the program possible. Matt Myers, Greg Klayman on the content side, Catalina Villegas on DEI. Uh, The whole goal is just to, you know, create opportunities for folks with diverse background and, and establish a pipeline. You know, the goal is to, you know, help people work for us and, and get them to a point where they're trained and they can work for us. But if they also can go work in the industry, that's also a win. You know, right. it comes back to what I mentioned earlier, um, diverse lenses, diverse voices, telling stories of our diverse sport, was re- which is representative of a diverse nation. Right. So if we have lots of different people from different backgrounds, different perspectives, um, telling the stories that Mookie wants to tell, telling the stories that everybody wants to tell. That's a good thing. You know, and if they come work for us at MLB and MLB.com, great. But if they're out there working for the LA Times or they're working for the St. Louis paper or whatever, that's also a good thing. Um, And just having these conversations and talking about representation, talking about diversity, talking about perspectives and trying to understand i think it comes back to your theme of humanizing each other yeah like humanizing each other through conversations humanizing each other through stories and, and celebrating baseball you know like i said i've been very fortunate to work in baseball and baseball is a great vehicle and it's given tons of joy to lots of people and but there's also ways that you know baseball can also impact communities and for me this i feel like this is my mission to work in development and diversity outreach to help people get opportunities to share stories and humanize players. Because um, one thing I think you, you see it and it happens and it, it's, it's a common theme. Like uh, as Latinos, we get all placed in one group mm-hmm. and there, and people aren't always recognizing the diversity within our group. You know, so one of the things I like to tell you, and when we talk about is it, diversity within each group. You know, whether it's someone from Venezuela or a first American, first generation American, Mexican American. You know, we can't just all lump each other into one group. And when we have these conversations about the differences and similarities, and then we talk about that with every member in the clubhouse. You know, I think fans benefit. I think society benefits. And and we use baseball for as great as it, as it is for fun and celebration, but we also use it as a vehicle to, you know, to, to show that, uh, diversity is a good thing, you know, and different perspectives are, are a good thing and equal opportunity is a good thing. And uh, you know, those are the, those are the tenants that are important to me. You know, the commissioners established several diversity pipeline uh, programs folk, you know, for folks in the front office for scouting, uh, now for content, you know, I think the proof's in the pudding right there. Like uh, it's, it's important at the very top. So we're just trying to, uh, you know, implement all that stuff. Um
0: I, I, I want to be respectful of your time, Jesse. So we're going to end the show the way we always end the show here. Um, we do what we call our kickback questions. Um, it's a series of rapid fire questions. Right. If you have a longer answer, you want to go ahead and do and give it, then by all means, go ahead and do so. Um, I'm going to start off. Uh, first of all, being uh, that you were a fan, uh, fan of those Texas Rangers teams, could Julio Franco still be playing now? And do we know, is he still playing now? And does his birth certificate still say he's 25?
1: Well, I can answer part of those questions. I don't know about his birth certificate. (laughs) But uh, I want to say he could play now. I think if he's in an adult senior league, he would dominate. (laughs) I mean, he would.
0: For people who don't know who Julio Franco is. This is a guy, look him up, because with that batting stance, I don't know how he got around on pitches, but the dude was a masher, right, Jesse?
1: Yeah, amazing. And, you know, he's one of the physical fitness guys ahead of his time. So if you Google him now, you're going to see, like, this really muscular, super fit person. (laughs) Uh, I know he was in his 50s, maybe playing in Asia. I'm not sure. Um, Could he still play? I think he can dominate some senior leagues. Uh, back to what we are talking about earlier, the pitching so nasty now. I'm not yeah. sure guys half his ace can make contact. So Senior League Julio, dominate, yes.
0: <laughs> um, we are big fans of the male soap opera on this show that we like to call professional wrestling. Have you ever been, at one point in your life, going back to your childhood, a fan of wrestling? Or do you poo-poo it? Are you highbrow and you're above it all, Jesse?
1: you know, I'll never highbrow or above anything. So when I was <laughs> growing up in Texas, our, my favorite wrestlers were the Von Ericks. They were brothers. They had this yeah. thing called the claw. Yeah. And, uh, so I think they're going to make a movie about the Von Ericks. Yeah, uh, they are. And so I was a huge, you know, I didn't get into, you know, WWE or WWF as much. I think that's when I really started playing sports and baseball and, uh, all that. But growing up, uh, I forget that it was like Saturday night wrestling in downtown Fort Worth, you know, and the Von Erics and there was Kabuki and there was Kabbalah. And there was like, uh, I think, I think I wrote a story in high, when I was covering high schools, like junkyard dog had a kid who was a really good baseball player. I was like, oh, junkyard dogs. <laughs> you know, so uh, I do not poo poo sports. Uh, my, my friend's sister is Ronda Rousey. So oh, he, yeah, so we went to one of the events here at Raw, here at Chase, uh-huh. and uh, Chase Field, and the athleticism yes. of these wrestlers is unbelievable. Uh, yeah. I mean, it the women, the men, the rest, I mean, they are outstanding athletes. You know, seeing them fly around, seeing how built they are, how strong they are. No, man, I'm never going to poo-poo pro wrestling, you know, whether people say it's real or fake. I don't know. They were hitting the ground pretty hard, you know, when I saw them. uh, They were jumping off the top ropes and landing on people. It didn't look maybe orchestrated is one way to talk about it, but fake, I don't know. It didn't seem like those muscles were fake. It didn't seem like that jump off the top rope was fake. So I guess that's a long way of saying uh, my hardcore wrestling fan, no, but I am a Von Eric loyalists so if that movie ever gets made about the von eric family i'm gonna buy it rent it go see it do the claw you know they used to do this claw (laughs) so jesse real quick that that von
0: eric's thing that's real right because the stories i've heard it has become such a myth and there's so much tragedy in that story but it sounds like they're following in texas that was legit. The Von Eriks were, were huge, weren't they?
1: 100%. So, the stories of these Von Erich brothers, they were wrestling brothers in Texas, and their dad's name was Fritz Von Erich, and I think he had four or five sons, and then they had also cousins who also wrestled, and they were monsters, man. They were huge, really skilled, um, ahead of their time. But whether it was mental health or whether it was substance abuse or whether, I'm not sure what happened, but, um, there, there were a the lot of, they all died, you yeah. know, whether it was, um, and I'm not sure the reasoning behind that. Um, it was sad, you know, growing up, you see these guys and you hear about David Von Eric, and then you hear about yeah. Carrie Von Eric. Yeah. Like, what, what's going on there. So that's why I'm also fascinated to, to want to see the show, the yeah. movie that comes out about it. Cause we grew up just watching them on Saturday night, on Saturday night, mm-hmm. you know, and then you hear all the stories, and they were so famous, man. It was a big deal, you know. They were, they were the real deal, and I hope that I hope that movie does it justice. You know, I don't even know if it's still going to come out uh, or whatever. But on occasion, I'll see something on Variety dot com or, or something that there's a Von Eric movie coming. But it was. Yeah, really I- cool.
0: I, I've seen those same pictures. Uh, the The guy who was in Hollywood, uh, no, high school musical. I forget what his name is. I'm blanking on him. He's yeah. playing one, one of the Von Erichs. Uh Last one, Jesse, before we let you go, um, you know, I had mentioned the Bleed Loss podcast. We're about the Dodgers. We're about Los Angeles. But we're about taco culture here. Yes. You grew up in Texas. We want to know, what is your favorite taco? I know you're based out of Arizona now, too. So you can prove a myth over here because someone told me that you can't get good tacos in in Arizona, which to me is shocking. How can you not get good tacos in Arizona? What is your favorite taco
1: and where do you go to get that taco? Shoot. I mean, if it has a tortilla on it, I'm eating it. So (laughs) it's hard to like, I don't know uh, if I've ever turned down a taco, which is not Great for health, or the maybe it's great for the gym membership because it <laughs> it keeps you going. Uh, Al Pastor is incredible.
0: You That's know, your I go-to love, right there. Yeah, I Al think so
1: I think if, it, if I'm walking by, it's like one of those shows, right? If you're like you're turning the TV and Shawshank Redemption comes on, I'm gonna watch it, uh-huh. right? If I'm not hungry at all and I don't feel like I need something, but I I'm something sells Al Pastor, I got to get it. I, I I don't know uh with pineapple? Invol- no, I don't know about pineapple. I'm not okay. I've never had the pineapple, but okay. But uh I don't know. There's a lot of places around here. Uh, Arizona is a good good town for tacos. It's like don't, don't believe the hype on that. I mean you, is you can there find- any place
0: you recommend for us when we go uh, see the Doyers take on the D backs? So there's a place called Chiwas Tacos. Mm-hmm. Chiwas. Um, okay. that's a really good place. And, and they have Al Pastor there because yes. I struggle to find good Al Pastor. So if you tell me a place that has good Al Pastor, by all means, I will go there.
1: I would check out Chiwas. I even okay. think they were featured in one of those Netflix shows. Remember the. Like, uh, the oh, the Taco family? Chronicles. Yeah. Yeah. I think that might have been in there. Um, there was a section in Arizona on there which had some good ones. You know, I was like, OK, somebody did their homework because uh, they hit the good spots. So if if you need to like get a refresher on Arizona, go go to that Taco Chronicles and look for the section where it says Phoenix or whatever, because uh, they did their homework. And there you have it, Jesse. We want to thank you. Uh, uh,
0: We appreciate everything that you shared with us. Uh, Where can they follow you on the socials, our listeners, our viewers?
1: So you can just, uh, it's really easy. Just Jesse Sanchez MLB on Twitter. That's my handle. It's the same thing on, on Instagram. Um, I'm not even sure if people still are using Facebook or not, but it's <laughs> the same uh, same thing there. Uh, while my kids have uh, trying to convince me to go on TikTok and these uh, other things, I, I haven't said no, but I'm just not sure how appealing my content would be uh, for them. So maybe you'll see me on there eventually. Uh, but yeah, social media obviously is extremely important to tell stories and and to reach fans and to reach family, you know, we're on the satellite family here in Phoenix, everybody else is in, in Texas or in Mexico. So uh, I'll post, I might post a little bit too much only because I want people to keep track of uh, you know, our lives over here. Well, there you have it. We want to
0: thank Jesse. Make sure you guys not only follow him on social medias, follow the content that he provides uh, in MLB.com. Uh, he's a great retweeter. I will tell you that because I, I find a lot of stuff on, uh, Ellie de la Cruz, you know, all these hot young players coming up. So Jesse, we want to thank you, uh, for giving us the time.
1: No, thank you so much, Juan. And, uh, I'm glad I can tell that no more Garcia Pada, uh, Garnier Salas' story. So I'm going to revisit that with my wife. We're going to determine if that was or was not a date. So uh, we'll, I'll let you know how that plays out. Please do. I say it's a date. It's a date. We'll have our listeners
0: chime in. Thanks, Jesse. Thank you so much. This episode of the Bleed Lows Podcast has been brought to you by Online, where the game starts.
1: Thank you for listening to Believe.